bubbling transfer. From atop the Lowell State Theater building, colossal, tremendous, W-H-P-H-S. Tales of intrigue, adventure, and the mysterious occult that will stir your imagination and make your very blood run cold. This is Dark Adventure Radio Theater with your host, Erskine Blackwell. Today's episode, H.P. Lovecraft's The Color Out of Space. A meteorite from cosmic space falls to Earth on a backwoods Massachusetts farm. The space rock possesses peculiar qualities and mystifies even the brightest university scientists. But it soon becomes clear that this is no ordinary meteor as its otherworldly influence unleashes a creeping wave of despair, death, and decay into the land and its inhabitants. Wow! Nothing lights up a room quite like a mouthful of dazzling white teeth. And nothing can bring a shine to your teeth like Forehands toothpaste, because Forehands is made with radiol. This delightful dentifrice combines scientifically extracted radium with fresh-tasting peppermint oil. So brush after every meal with Forehands toothpaste and give the gals a grin that's gleaming. And now, Dark, Dark Adventure Radio Theater presents P. Lovecraft's The Color Out of Space. You want to hear something really weird, Mr. Hughes? What's that, Ruth? I found this old survey report. I don't think it was ever filed. Weird. We're a government office. Half the paperwork in this place gets lost. No, it's the way it's written. It's very... poetic. Oh, brother. Here, want a drink? Thanks. Oh, listen to this. West of Arkham, the hills rise wild, and there are valleys with deep woods that no axe has ever cut. There are dark, narrow glens where the trees slope fantastically and where thin brooklets trickle without ever having caught the glint of sunlight. Oh, isn't that lovely? It's got some style, I'll give you that. Who wrote it? Uh, someone named Abel Cook. Ever heard of him? No. Must have been some freelance contract surveyor. When was it written? Back in 26. I, I found it in a box of old papers in the basement, along with some specimen tubes full of dust. God, I wonder why it was never filed. Come on, Ruth. You know what it's like here. His supervisor probably didn't understand those big words. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Listen, here's some more. On the gentle slopes there are farms, ancient and rocky, with squat, moss-coated cottages brooding eternally over old New England secrets in the lee of great ledges. But these are all vacant now, the wide chimneys crumbling and the shingled sides bulging perilously beneath low, gambrel roofs. The old folk have gone away, and foreigners do not like to live there. It is not because of anything that can be seen or heard or handled, but because of something that is imagined. The place is not good for imagination and does not bring restful dreams at night. It must be this which keeps the foreigners away, for old Ami Pierce has never told them anything he recalls from the strange days. Ami, whose head has been a little queer for years, is the only one who still remains or who ever talks of the strange days. 
and he dares do this because his house is so near the open fields and the traveled roads around Arkham. There was once a road over the hills and through the valleys that ran straight to where the blasted heath is now, but people ceased to use it, and a new road was laid curving far towards the south. I would find traces of the old one amidst the weeds of a returning wilderness, but at this point I had never been to the wild hills west of Arkham. I was hired by the county to survey the region, and I thought it prudent to review some maps before embarking on my first trip to the area. Being in Arkham at the time, naturally I visited Miskatonic University's celebrated Orne Library. Professor Armitage said you might be able to pull an old survey map, Mrs. Green. Oh, please, dear, call me Edith. Now, where exactly do you... West of Arkham, the hill country. Uh, not, not that far from here. It's where the new reservoir... Oh, well, we might have something. The Walker map of 1887. Is something wrong? No. No. It's nothing. You can tell me. Well, I can't. Not really. It's that area. People say it's evil. Evil? What, the whole region? It's this area here. The valley and the hills and woods that surround it. They call it the Blasted Heath. Boy, not many details on this map, huh? There's not much to see since the strange days. The hills there, the woods, the blasted heath, they're empty. Tut with something. Evil's as good a word for it as any. Strange days, huh? Old witch-haunted Arkham sure has never lacked for superstition. These aren't superstitions, young man. You go out that way and you'll see. Don't stay the night out there. The following morning, I took the map and drove out west. And sure enough, I soon saw that dark tangle of glens and slopes and ceased to wonder at anything besides its own elder mystery. It was morning, but shadow lurked always there. The trees grew too thickly and their trunks were too big for any healthy New England wood. There was too much silence in the dim alleys between them and the floor was too soft with the dank moss and mattings of uncountable years of decay. In the open spaces, mostly, Along the line of the old road, there were little hillside farms, sometimes with all the buildings standing, sometimes with only one or two, and sometimes with only a lone chimney or fast-filling cellar. Weeds and briars reigned, and furtive wild things rustled in the undergrowth. Upon everything was a haze of restlessness and oppression, a touch of the unreal and the grotesque, as if some vital element of perspective were awry. I did not wonder that no one would stay, for this was no region to sleep in. It was too much like some forbidden woodcut in a tale of terror. I cleared the rise perhaps a mile further on and did not need my map to know I'd found what had to be the blasted heath. No other name could fit such a thing, or any other thing fit such a name. It was as if the poet had coined the phrase from having seen this one particular region. I thought it must be the outcome of a fire, but why had nothing new ever grown over these five acres of gray desolation that sprawled open to the sky? like a great spot eaten by acid in the woods and fields. It lay largely to the north of the ancient road line, but encroached a little on the other side. I felt an odd reluctance at entering the valley, and did so at last only because my business took me through and past it. There was no vegetation of any kind on that broad expanse, but only a fine gray dust or ash which no wind seemed ever to blow about. The trees near it were sickly and stunted, and many dead trunks stood or lay rotting at the rim. I slowed to a stop when I saw the tumbled bricks and stones of an old chimney and cellar on my right, 
and the yawning black maw of an abandoned well whose stagnant vapors played strange tricks with the hues of the sunlight. I marveled no more at Edith's frightened whispers. There had been no other house nearby. Even in the old days the place must have been lonely and remote. As twilight approached, I dreaded to backtrack through that ominous spot. I drove circuitously back to town by the newer road to the south. I vaguely wished some clouds would gather for an odd timidity about the deep skyey voids above had crept into my soul. My excursion stirred my imagination and I wanted to learn more about the region. Back in Arkham, I set out for the Essex Institute. I'm afraid I can't help you much there, sir. It's not the sort of place that anyone's gone to the trouble to write much about. But everyone in Arkham seems to know it. The, the blasted heath, the strange days... Yes, the... of course, local folks know, but it doesn't make them eager to set it down on paper. Can you tell me anything? I mean, these strange days, was that from the time of the witch trials? Oh, heavens no. It was only back in the 80s. A family disappeared or was killed. Nowadays, hardly anyone even remembers exactly what happened, and you can't believe anyone who'd be willing to talk about it. What would you tell me about it? No, I, I was just a child at the time, I'm afraid. Be careful going down this path, young man. An old-timer like Army Pierce might spin you a crazy yarn, but you'd want to take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> Stories of this kind are just best left forgotten. Army Pierce? I'm telling you, Mr. Cook, best forget it. The next morning I sought out Ami Pierce, having heard that he lived alone in the ancient tottering cottage where the trees first began to get very thick. It was a fearsomely ancient place and had begun to exude the faint miasmal odor which clings about houses that have stood too long. Don't know you. State your business here, sir. Uh, Mr. Pierce? How do you do? My name is Abel Cook. I'm from the Essex County Water District. I've been brought on as a surveyor, measuring the lands west of here for a reservoir which the county's planned. Yeah, reservoir, eh? Whereabouts? It'll be created with a dam on the south fork of the Anasquam River. Just east of the Mattapan Gap, yep. Mm. So you fellas will flood back? Uh, Miller's Top will constrain it to the north and will submerge... All the land through the sand to it, Holler. Back up beyond Chapman's Brook? Hmm? Yes, sir. That's right. That's the basic plan. Fair bit of land there going under. Oh, yes, sir, but you don't need to worry. It won't reach to here. I look like an idiot to you, boy. Uh, no, sir. My family's lived this land for 250 years. I know it better than, than... any man I've met, sir. Hmm. What do you want? I'm surveying the land that we submerged. We need to make a record of what's there first. Try and understand. <laughs> understand it? <laughs> Hell drowning that land in water's the best idea you city boys come up with yet. <laughs> you ever been up there? Yes, sir, I have. Queer country, if you ask me. Uh, I roamed them valleys as a young man. Ain't been out that way for more than 40 years now. Reservoir. Reckon it'll be better underwater now. <laughs> Ain't been no hope there since... The strange days. What are these strange days? What happened? I reckon you better sit yourself down. You want to know the true story? You best be prepared to set a spell. You know what a meteorite is, boy? Sure, a rock that falls from outer space. Hmm, close enough. They found a meteorite up there? 
Before that thing came, there were no wild legends at all since the witch trials. And even then, these western woods were not feared half as much as the small island in the Miskatonic, where the devil held court beside a curious altar older than the Indians. These woods were not haunted, and the setting of the sun was never terrible till the strange days. But then, was June of 82, there came a white noontide cloud, a string of explosions in the air, and a pillar of smoke from the valley far in the wood, bedded itself in the ground beside the well at the Nahum Gardner place. Is that the house out on the blasted heath? I, I was there. No one. I don't imagine it once sat amidst fertile gardens and orchards. Well, Nahum, he was mightily excited to have such a thing come down on his farm, and he set out to tell folks about the stone. As this house here sits on the way from his place to Argama, I was the first, he told. Nahum! Come in, I got a pot of coffee on. No time, Army. You, you seen the meteor come down this morn? Well, I heard it at first. And I seen the pillar of smoke coming from out your way. Can't have come down far from you folk there. <laughs> far. <laughs> the damn thing blasted into the ground, not a stone's throw from my well sweep. I'll be. I gotta get over to the university. Them Miskatonic professors won't believe it when they see this thing. We'll come this way on our way back. You, you should come along, have a gander. Uh, bring the missus. Tis a queer thing. Don't reckon there's nothing like it on Earth. The following morning, Nahum came by on his way back from Arkham. He succeeded at getting the attention of some university professors. I saddled up horses so my wife Martha and I could join the group to see the thing. Gentlemen, I hope you don't mind, but I've invited my neighbors to come along and have a look. This here is Ami Pierce and his wife, Martha. Oh, not at all. How do you do? I'm Professor Barnes from Miskatonic's Astronomy Department. This here is Professor Lamb from the Geology Department. Pleasure, ma'am. And this is Dr. Humberg from the Chemistry Department. How do you do? A pleasure, sir. Thanks for letting us come along. I've never seen a space rock before. I hope you won't be disappointed. <laughs> Some of them look pretty ordinary. This one's a full ten feet across. I don't figure none of you'll be disappointed a bit. Right, everybody ready? Let's go. We'll be able to see the crater as you come around yonder bend. Did you witness the impact? I weren't a witness, exactly. I was off in the North Orchard when I heard it. Ain't no way you couldn't hear it. Ground shook when it hit. Oh, oh there. You can see the crater off the left of the house. It's enormous. I was skeptical of your description, Mr. Gardner, but I must say, you were right. Impressive impact crater. Looks like a bomb went off there, name. The grass is scorched all around it. It was still mighty hot last night. Lucky it didn't hit you well. <laughs> it's miraculous it didn't destroy the entire farm. Well, tie off the horses by the barn and we'll have a look. Follow me. Well, professors, here we are. Uh, mind your step there, Martha. The, the, the crater's steep on the inside. My God. Well, that's not what I was expecting. Don't it look like other space rocks? Most meteorites of this size are composed largely of iron. This doesn't look like metal at all. It's unusual. <laughs> Mr. Gardner, you had said it was about 
ten feet in diameter? Yep, it was more than twice as wide as my arms can reach. Well, that would put it among the largest meteorites ever discovered, but well, this doesn't seem quite that big to me. I'd, I'd say about uh, seven feet. Well, it shrunk. Stones do not shrink, sir. <laughs> Let's have a look here. Well, Lamb, what do you think? There's no fusion crust. Some signs of ablation. It's still radiating quite a lot of heat. Let me get my tools. It was so hot, it kind of glowed yesterday. And it was bigger, I swear. Well, here's a rock hammer, Dr. Humberg. Uh, see if you can chip off a piece we can take back to the lab. Very well. It's soft, almost plastic. Strike it again, sir. I'll be. This is not making good sense. Forgive me. Most meteors are hard? Oh, indeed they are, Mrs. Pierce. A meteorite of this size is usually quite dense. Maybe as it cools it might harden? Oh, maybe. Uh, have you a chisel in your bag, Professor? Perhaps we can strike off a piece. Uh, here. Oh, we'll need a, something to hold the specimen. Uh, Mr. Gardner, do you have a metal container of any kind? Uh, I got a tin pail in the barn. If it's not metal and it's not rock, what do you think it's made of? Ah, hesitant to speculate. I suppose we'll find out when we take the sample to the lab. I think it's safe to say we've found something new. Folks will be talking about the Gardner meteorite for years. With the sample in the pail, the scientists rode back to Arkham. And Martha and I came back here. Next day, professors came by here on their way back to the Gardner's. They were all excited and eager to share the queer discoveries they made. The pail remained hot the entire trip back to Miskatonic. We had to keep the handle wrapped in cloth. But the sample's gone now, fully sublimated. What's that mean? It was like evaporation of the sample all through the day. This morning, all gone. Your sample disappeared? Oh, not just the sample, also the beaker that held it. Somebody steal it? No, no. Uh, late last night, we left all the chips made of the original fragment in a glass beaker. This morning, both chips and beaker were gone without trace, and only a charred spot marked the place on the wooden shelf where they had been. Well, thinking the meteorite had some kind of strange affinity with the silicon. I have never seen such a thing. It did nothing at all and showed no occluded gases when heated on charcoal. Results completely negative in the borax bead. The sample was not volatile at any temperature, including that of the oxyhydrogen blowpipe. We tried it on an anvil and it appeared highly malleable. And in the dark, it was highly luminous. We took a look with the spectroscope and it displayed shining bands unlike any known colors of the natural spectrum. It's unheard of. There's nothing like this in the literature. It may be a previously unknown element. But it does have properties of metal. How can you tell? Well, magnetism, for one thing, and after its immersion in the acid solvents, we detect faint traces of the Widmanstatin figures, sometimes found on meteoric iron. It's like no metal I ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So you fellas are heading back for more samples? We are. This is extraordinary science. We're incredibly lucky to have a discovery like this. I'd sure like to take another look at it. Okay if I join you? Of course. <laughs> Let's go. We set out as quick as we could. All of us excited to see the thing again. We met with Nahum, and he'd led us back into the crater. Getting smaller. At this rate, there ain't gonna be nothing left by week's end. Clearly, it's shrinking. Now, here's a measuring tape. It can't be more than five feet in diameter now. Ow! Well, it's still quite hot, though. We must find a way to stabilize it. It's still too big for us to move. 
I propose we take another large sample back to the lab. Agreed? Yeah, yeah, good idea. May I take the sample? I'm thinking if I can chip inward along one of those striations, we might get a good uh, cross-section. Careful there. Uh, that's good. Looks like it's uh, cutting inward. Nearly there. I think one more hit and this piece will break off. Here goes. What in tarnation? Inside, it's too big to be a chondrule. It's some kind of shiny globule. It looks wrong. The optics, it's like it's creating prismatic interference of some kind. Defarber, the color. I mean, what color is that? It's... I don't know. It's like a soap bubble. Like solid, but like it's moving, too. It's all colors and none. I think it resembles some of the irregular bands we saw in the spectroscope at the lab. Oh, no, this is... What do you mean? Well, the human eye perceives colors created by certain wavelengths of light. This... This must radiate through some unknown part of the spectrum. So it's a new color? Nobody's ever seen it before? Well, I don't know what else to call it. It's... Shh! Listen. The interior globule, it sounds brittle, almost hollow. Listen. Careful. Oh, oh my God. It, it's shattered. No. No, there's no fragments. It's like it vaporized. The color, it's it's dissolving. There were nothing inside it. What can you see? Oh, he's right. The colored globe is gone. It's just spherical empty space inside, maybe three inches in diameter. Might there be more of those globules elsewhere in the interior? I suppose it's only one way to find out, but I'm going to get a smaller hammer. Did they find any more of the globules inside? Nope. They hammered and drilled away at it for a while. Torn't easy because of the heat and all. Torn't easy to look at, neither. Something about the color of it just left you kind of uh, baffled. So did they ever identify it? In the end, they took another pail full of fragments back to Miskatonic. I guess the test of that second sample showed the same as the first. At the end of the test, them college scientists were forced to own that they could not place it. It was nothing of this earth but a piece of the great outside, dowered with outside properties and obedient to outside laws. Well, that's extraordinary. It's no wonder you came to call them the strange days. Ah, son... That were only the beginning of those days. So much more was to follow. The following morning I joined the professors for a third trip out to the garden of farm. There had been a powerful thunderstorm during the night, and when Nay met us, he broke the bad news. I'm sorry, but I reckon you best see this for yourselves. Gone? Where is it? Don't rightly know. It's gone. I'll have a look. Maybe the sides of the crater have caved in. Maybe it's buried. Did anything happen last night, Mr. Gardner? That could have... I'll say. There's a fierce electrical storm last night. It raged out at our place. The way I figure it, the meteor had some electrical properties. Caused it to draw down the lightning right to it. Lightning struck it? I seen six different bolts hitting down right in the center of the crater last night. Felt the hair standing up all over me. Dogs howling to beat the devil. Damnedest thing. Once the storm was settled early this morning, I come out to the crater, but... Well, you can see for yourself. Ain't nothing left. See anything down there, Professor Lamb? Nothing. There's no trace of it. Loose fragments? Residue? There's nothing. It's completely gone. 
Oh, my God. You suppose Mr. Gardner moved it? Hid it away? Why in the world would he do that? I don't know. Maybe to sell it to a collector. A big meteorite could be a very valuable thing. <laughs> Didn't bring no riches to Nahum Gardner, no. It was just plumb gone. There was nothing left for them scientists but to go back to their laboratory and test again what pieces they had. Dr. Humbug carefully cased them in some lead box. They lingered for a week, but they didn't learn nothing else about them. Finally, those last fragments wasted away, too. What a loss to science. Hmm. You were scientist, Mr. Cook? Well, not, not really. More of an engineer, I guess you could say. And I guess you can't explain it, neither. As for me, I went back out to names a few days after a, a figure, and I'd just pay a social call to the gardeners and see how they were getting on. <laughs> I tell you, Yami, after that electrical storm, I thought those professors' hearts was going to break. <laughs> <laughs> when Professor Lamb saw it had gone and left nothing behind, he told me he could scarcely feel sure that he had ever really seen it. Said it was like a dream, like some important message that he had gotten and lost the paper it was written on. That's what he called it, a message. From a faraway place, some... Fathomless gulf outside, you see. <laughs> and you can't quite remember it. Ah, looks like you got a visitor riding up. Hello there. I tell you, visiting news like going to the Essex County Fair. <laughs> <laughs> looks like a city fella. I reckon he's another one of them newspaper men. Nabby, come here and bring the boys. We got another newspaper man. How do, gentlemen? Chaz Needham from the Boston Daily Advertiser. One of you, Mr. Gardner? That's me. Name Gardner. Sir? Amy Pierce. I live a few miles back down the valley. My wife, Abigail, and my boys, Zenas, Thaddeus, and Merwin. This Mr. Needham from... Boston Daily Advertiser. We'd like to do a story about you and your meteor. Could I get you all to pose for a photograph out by the crater? Reckon I'd best leave you to it. Uh, yeah. Here, Mr. Needham. You see, I were out in the North Orchard when I hears the loudest noise... So, Nahum became a sort of local celebrity for a bit. Naturally, he was proud of the notice his place had attracted and liked talking about the meteorite. That July and August were hot. Nahum worked hard at haying in the ten-acre pasture across Chapman's Brook. Martha and I visited him and Abigail often that summer. Nahum, you leave your work be for now. We got company. Come set like civilized folk. I'm coming. You'll have to forgive him, Martha. It's that time of year. Yeah, Nahum told me you're expecting a bumper crop. I had to order extra barrels just to handle it. Oh, we never seen anything like it, Army. The apples, the pears, they're huge. And each tree's got more fruit than we've ever had. That's marvelous. Maybe the space rock brought you a spell of good luck. Well, come set, Nahum. I've got a lemonade for you. <laughs> Martha, Army, you're just in time. It's our first bushel of apples for the season. <laughs> I am worn out. I tell you, Ami, this year I am feeling my age. <laughs> well, those are beautiful, Nahum. Must be twice the size of the apples we've got in our orchard. Well, it's not just the apples grown big. My tomatoes, the melons, everything's big and beautiful. I praise the Lord for the bountiful harvest he done brung us. I don't have to tell you, Ami, what it means to have a good year on this land. Here. Have one. Martha, Nabby, 
Oh, dear Lord. Excuse me. Oh, blesses. They've all gone off. Each of you? Afraid so. They look good here. I'll, I'll cut into this one. Oh, <laughs> horrible. Oh, that taste. It's still on my tongue. Here, have my lemonade. Good Lord. I hope the whole crop ain't gone off like that. It had. And to the fine flavor of the pears and apples had crept a stealthy bitterness and sickishness, so that even the smallest bite induced a lasting disgust. It was the same with the melons and tomatoes. Nahum's entire crop was lost. The meteorite poisoned the soil? That's how Nahum figured it. He just thanked heaven that most of the other crops were in the upland lot, along the road and away from the crater. Winter came early that year and was very cold. I saw Nahum less often than usual. When I did, he had a worried look about him. Whole family seemed taciturn. We rarely saw them at church or social events. Martha asked Abigail about it, but she claimed only that she'd felt poorly. Come January, I saw Nahum outside the general store in Clark's Corners and asked after him. Don't like the footprints I seen in the snow, homie. It's not right. Well, I don't follow you, Nahum. What footprints are you talking about? Red squirrels, white rabbits, foxes. I've seen them. This time of year we all see. Something's wrong with them. Arranged funny. Not like they supposed to be. No rabbit leaves tracks like that. Well, now and again you'll see a queer one, Nahum. Don't you worry yourself. Well, you take care. <laughs> Get yourself home safe and give my best to Nabby and the boys. Hmm. What did you make of that? Didn't pay him much mind at first. But that night, uh, I took my sleigh home past his farm. As I neared the farmhouse, I saw a rabbit in the light of the full moon. At first, I, I reckoned it was the power of suggestion or the like. But I swear to you, there was something wrong. Its leaps were too long. My horse, Hero, seen it and bolted. So scared I could barely rein him in. Got up near the farmhouse and Nahum's dogs, which used to be some of the fiercest you'd see on any farm. They were cowed and quivering under the porch. I weren't the only one to take note that something was amiss at the gardeners. It became a regular topic of whispered conversation at the general store. Afternoon, Army. How do, Stephen? Good to see you, Amos. Afternoon, Stephen. How's the weather holding out there? Still blowing from the southwest. Just spitting down a little light snow. They say it's going to be an early thaw. Earlier some places than others. How's that? You've been down round the Gardner place. Ain't hardly no snow on the ground there. It's true. We got the better part of a foot at our place. Something's queer wrong there, no doubt. You want queer wrong? Listen to this. My boys were out hunting woodchucks about a half a mile from Gardner's. They bagged one and took a look at the thing. Said its body were all proportioned wrong in the face. Well, it had a sort of expression ain't nobody never seen on no woodchuck. Gave the boys a serious fright. And Army, you of all people know my boys ain't inclined to be squeamish. No, sir. They got backbone. You know, I seen skunk cabbages coming out of his ground. Just this morning, coming right out of the mud. This time of year? That's just wrong. Well, that ain't all. They're all big and all weird colors. Why? 
What color were they? I don't know. I, I can't even describe it. It was like no color I'd ever seen. My horses wouldn't go anywhere near him. You know he lost nearly his whole harvest, right? Way I figure it. It's on account of that meteorite. Gardener's visitor. <laughs> How could it? That thing melted like ice. And good riddance. Maybe it left something behind. Whatever that visitor was, none of the men from the university could make head nor tails of it. Figure his land spoiled for good? Can't say as I know. Most of the time you get poison in the soil, season or two, and you get it washed out by the water, and the ground goes right again. Sure hope so. Name's looking peaky. Uh, the trees budded prematurely around Names, and at night they swayed ominously in the wind. Names' second son, Thaddeus, a lad of fifteen, swore that they swayed even when there weren't no wind. Uh, Thaddeus, of all of them, really took to listening all the time. Listening? What were they listening to? Uh, it weren't anything in particular. Leastwise, not to anything they could name. It was more like they slipped off into a, a trance of some kind of daydream. Like they were listening for something. Everybody what knew them agreed there was something wrong with all of the gardeners. In April, local folk had all but stopped using the road past names. It was a shame, but I couldn't blame them. I figured it was on account of the vegetation. All the archer trees blossomed forth in strange colors. The only thing I could liken it to was the color of that odd globule inside the meteorite. Nahum plowed and sowed the ten-acre pasture and the upland lot, but did nothing with the land around the house. He knew it would be of no use. Hoped that the summer's strange growths would draw all the poison out of the soil. He was prepared for almost anything now. He took it to heart that so many of his neighbors would shun his farm, but the toll was worse on his wife. The boys were better off, being at school each day, but they couldn't help being frightened by the gossip. Thaddeus, he was especially sensitive. He suffered the most. Poor kid. That's terrible. Yeah, it weren't over yet. Come May, I paid another visit to the gardeners. Evening, Nahum. Thought we'd pay you a visit. Nahum, I baked you a blackberry pie. My kind of you, Martha. Shh. What is it? I can't quite make it out. But it's there, though. Mercy, bugs sure are thick up here. Gets worse as the night goes on. Really? Where's Nabby and the boys? He's on watch. On watch? One of us keeps an eye out each direction. What are you watching for? I can't say. We'll know it when we seize it. Evening, Abby. Have you heard it, Martha? Heard what? You see how still it is tonight? No wind. Yep. Hush now. Just you watch that maple tree. And listen. It moved. The branches moved. Darn right, it moved. It's the sap. That's what done it. Moving. Sound of that color. Nabby. Here's a pie I baked for you. And the boys. Pie. I'll just set it right here. Ami, reckon we should be riding on home now. 
You all take care now. Uh, we were only too happy to leave that night. We headed up the road to the last bend from which you can see gardeners. And I look back. It was faint. Yeah, really faint, but I, I swear there was a slight glow coming off the plants. It sort of moved and lingered over everything. Got to where I could hardly bear going over there anymore. And there wasn't nobody in the county who went more than me. Finally, summer was coming on. Approaching of the anniversary of the night the meteor fell. When Amos McGregor rode up to my place. Army! How do, Amos? Bad news, Army. Seems Nahum's luck's taken another turn for the worst. Doesn't hardly seem it could get much worse. He told me the cow's milk went bad last night. It's the horses now. Nahum said something fired them up in the night, neighing and kicking something fierce in their stalls. He opened the stable door and all four of them bolted. Reckon you could saddle up and lend a hand to help track them down? We rode up to the gardener place to look for the animals. And tracking them was easier than we expected. It seems everything green on the farm was turning grey and brittle. Even the flowers, what had such strange colours before, were greying now. We located the poor beasts. Amos and I drew straws for which of us would have to do it. I was the one to break the news to Nahum. Army, did you get the horses? Ah, uh, we did. Down to the side of the brook. They're in a bad way, Nahum. Couldn't hardly approach them. Eyes rolling, teeth bared. Nothing left to do for them, Nahum. I'm sorry, Nahum. <laughs> Don't suppose it matters none? Now that Nabby's gone. Nabby's gone? Well, where'd she go? She's upstairs, but her mind ain't there no more. You mean she's gone soft in the head? Uh, yeah. Not much of her left nowadays. How about you take me up there to say hello? Friendly face might do her a bit of good. I reckon so. Maybe. She don't talk much now. I let her wander the house and the yard for a spell, but can't do that no more on account of her crashing into everything. Nahum, where is she? Locked in the attic. But Nahum, you can't keep her locked up. Can't let her wander free no more. She's a danger to herself, and she's mighty disquieting company. Got to where even the boys couldn't abide her no more. Poor Thaddeus nearly fainted when he seen some of the faces she made at him. Come on, this way. What about the boys? They keeping well? Mm, I reckon they come over a mite queer. But they ain't so bad as Navi nor the horses. Navi? He's got a visitor. Ami Pierce come by to pay a call on ye. Best ye be quiet. She can be kind of skittish. Hello, Nami. It's me, Ami. Ami. It were taken. Trained or something. Fastening itself on me that ought not to be. Someone must make it keep off. Nothing was ever still. They, they shifted the 
things, they move when you hear the fluttering of them. It gets there's more of it than you can know. It takes and you there's nothing left. You make it go a tingle as it talks. Don't make no sound, but I hears it. You see that? She moves queer-like and kind of got a glow coming off of her. My lord, that's terrible. The poor woman, did, did he take her to a doctor? Yeah, no, sir. They ain't figured if those university men didn't know what it was. Doctors wouldn't be much use neither. He had taken some of his strange crops to Arkham, showed them to a feller at Miskatonic and to the editor of the Gazette. Didn't get much for his trouble, but a paragraph in the paper about foolish country superstitions. He reckoned the queer time would come to pass and hope Nabby'd come around again. But by September, all the vegetation was fast crumbling to a grayish powder. Nahum feared that the trees would die before the poison was out of the soil. Nabby come to have spells of terrific screaming. He and the boys were strung pretty tight. Nahum, you here? I brung that lamp oil for you. Nahum? Nahum, you in there? Hello, Nahum. Here's that lamp oil you were needing. Five gallons of kerosene, too. I'll put it here on the porch. Now, how you keeping? How are the boys? They're about... They're missed down at the schoolhouse. Ooh. Ooh. Hot day. Mind if I water Hero at your trough? Ooh. Whoa there, Hero, whoa! What's wrong, boy? Lord, name. Your water's gone foul. Is it? Can't you taste it? It's rank, kind of salty. You need to dig yourself a new well, up on higher ground away from the house till the, this blows over. Can't say as I taste it. No, Nahum, it's wrong. Bad wrong. Dig a new well, for the boy's sake. Give him something to do anyway. Did Gardner dig a new well? They'd have to have good water. Nahum had become callous to strange and unpleasant things. He and the boys continued to use the old well, drinking from it as listlessly and mechanically as they ate their meager and ill-cooked meals and did their thankless and monotonous chores through the aimless days. I suppose I should have tried harder to help, but truth is, the place made my skin crawl and I kept away. There was something of resignation about them all. It was a month or two later, I called the Arkham veterinarian, Dr. Fleming, to come take a look at Hero. Turned out he had just been up to the gardener farm. I hadn't been out to see Nahum since 80. What a transformation. Whole farm looks like it's dying. He called me out saying he thought there was some livestock disease. Was there? It's like nothing I've ever seen, Army. All the poultry turned grayish and died very quickly. I cut one open. The meat was dry and noxious. All the birds? It was more than the birds. I looked at his hogs that were still alive, and I don't know how to describe it. They're growing gray and 
brittle and falling to pieces, their eyes and muzzles distorted. Never seen a thing like it. Whatever it is, it's hit the cattle, too. I saw cows where the whole body was shriveled, compressed. Whole bodies collapsing and disintegrating. Could it have been tainted food or something in the water? Huh. Well, if I know. Nam swore they'd never been fed from the tainted vegetation. No sign of poison or bites. I couldn't do a damn thing to help. Hearing Dr. Fleming's tale, I, I felt bad for having put off a visit for so long. I loaded up some staples I figured might be useful in their pantry and set out. Nahum! Nahum, it's me, Ami Pierce. Hello, Ami. Care to come up here to the porch and set a spell? I brought a sack of flour and a few pounds of coffee. Mighty kind, Ami. We don't get visitors no more. Sure. How you keeping? Reckon I've been better, Ami. My boy Thaddeus, his mind went soft a few weeks back. Thaddeus too? Went a visit to the well. He had gone with a pail and had come back empty-handed, shrieking and waving his arms and making this little titter. I said, what's the matter with you, boy? And he tells me, the moving colors down there. Oh, Nahum. I let him run about for a week or so, but he started stumbling and hurting himself. So I shut him in the attic across the hall from his mother's. Papa? Where's your manners, boy? Give a greeting to our guest, Mr. Pierce. Good afternoon, Mr. Pierce. Merwin, right? Yes, sir. Merwin, I got some butterscotch here. Would you like one? No. Papa, Thaddeus says McNoff Katavik don't need to shamak wabal. But Mommy ain't having none of that. She cathal at us behada. Now you run along and play and tell Thaddeus not to pay her no mind. Just yet. Damn. Guess Nabby and Thaddeus been talking in some kind of tongues to each other. Little fella were powerful fond of his brother. Likes to sit outside the locked door. I can't tell you how I appreciate your neighborliness, Army. On the 19th of October, Nahum appeared at my house with dreadful nose. Death had come to poor Thaddeus in his attic room. Though Nahum was unable to find words for just what had killed the boy. He had dug a grave in the family plot behind the farm. Martha and I gave what comfort we could. I reluctantly accompanied him home. And did what I might to calm his sobbing little Merwin. His brother Zenith needed no calming. Of late, he did nothing but stare into space and obey what his father told him. Maybe that was for the best. Now and then, Merwin's screams were answered faintly from the attic. I asked Nahum about Nabby, and he said she was abiding but had grown very feeble. As night approached, I hurried to get away. Three days later, Nahum burst into our kitchen in the early morning. I was already in the fields. Nahum? What's wrong? Sit down. You're white as a sheet. I'll call for Ami. Ami! Gone. 
I looked and I looked, but I can't find hiding a hair of him. Slow down now. He's been going to pieces for days, screaming at everything. Who? Nail. Little Merwin, he's gone. I've been searching all through the night. Easy now. Tell me what happened. Merwin went out to the well with a lantern and a pail, and he never come back. I, I heard a shriek from the yard. Then afore I could get to the door, the boy was gone. I, I run out to the well and didn't see him, nor the lantern, nor the pail. I, I searched all around till the sun come up, and then, and then I seen things by the well. Well, what things? It was a crushed and melty mass of iron which had been the lantern. Then beside that, a bent handle and twisted iron hoops half fused, which were the remnants of the pail. I don't understand. Uh, who could I tell this to? Oh, dear Lord. What is it? What happened? Shh, shh, shh. What am I supposed to do? Little Merwin gone? Thad gone? There's something creeping and waiting to be seen and heard. It's gonna come for me. You mock my words. Army, you promise me you'll look after Nabby and Zenus once I'm gone. Promise me! You know we'll do our best. It's some kind of judgment day like, like the Book of Job. I have been an upright man, Martha. I tried to walk in the Lord's way. Oh, my God. For over two weeks, I saw nothing of Nahum. Finally, I was so worried about what might have happened... I overcame my fears and rode up to the gardener place. There was no smoke from the great chimney, and truly, I feared the worst. Damn! Yeah? Beer on the couch. That you, Army? Yep. You all right, Name? It's freezing in here. It's a tad chilly. Zenas, bring some more wood. The fireplace is stone cold, Nam. Now, we'll get you boys warmed up, all right. There. The extra wood make you a bit more comfortable? I don't understand, Nam. There's no wood here. Nonsense. Zenas just brung some in. I haven't seen Zenas, Nam. Ah. Not likely that you would. Not these days. Why's that? In the well. He lives... In the well. Oh, dear God. Nahum, wh what about Nabby? She all right? She must be freezing up there. Nabby, why ask her yourself? She's right there. I'll be right back, Nahum. I took the key and ran up to the attic. It was quite dark inside, for the window was small and half obscured by crude wooden bars. I could see nothing at all in the wide planked floor. The stench was more than I could bear, and I stepped back to the hall to catch my breath. I entered again, and this time saw something dark in the corner. I screamed. Only time in my life ever did that. And while I screamed, I thought a momentary cloud eclipsed the window. Second late, I felt myself brushed as if by some awful current of vapor. Strange colors danced before my eyes. You know the one I mean. And in front of me was a monstrosity. One which all too clearly had shared the nameless fate of young Thaddeus and the livestock. But the terrible thing was that it very slowly and perceptibly moved 
as it continued to crumble. I suppose I went a bit mad in that moment. I don't figure a sane mind could endure such a thing. If it were madness, it was merciful in a way. I somehow scrambled away through the low doorway and locked the door to the horror behind me. There would be name to deal with. He must be fed and tended and removed to some place where he could be cared for. I started down the dark stairs. I was too scared to scream now. I thought of that clammy vapor which had brushed by me in the attic. What presence had my cry and entry started up? I stopped there and I heard some sounds from below. Good God. What dream world had I blundered into? I was petrified. Stood there trembling at the black curve of the boxed-in staircase. Every trifle of the scene burned itself into my brain. The sounds, the sense of dread expectancy, the darkness, the steepness of the narrow step. And merciful heaven, the faint but unmistakable luminosity of all the woodwork in sight. Steps, sides, exposed laughs and beams alike. My horse had surely bolted, startled by God knows what. And that splash, perhaps he'd knocked a stone into the well. I steeled myself and slowly descended the stairs and crept towards the couch where I had left him. But Nahum was no longer there. He had come to meet me. Whether he had crawled or been dragged by some external force, I do not know. But the death had been at him during the brief absence upstairs. Collapse, graying, disintegration were already far advanced. There was a horrible... Brittleness and dry fragments were scaling off. I could not bear to touch him, but looked into the grey echo of his face. What was it, Nahum? Nothing. Nothing. The color. It burns. Cold and wet, but it burns. It lived in the well. I seen it. A kind of smoke. Just like the flowers last spring. The well shone at night. Thad and Merwin and Zenith. Everything alive. Sucking the life out of everything. And that stone. Must have come in that stone poison the whole place. Don't know what it wants. That round thing them men from the college dug out of the stone. They smashed it. It was the same color. Just the same. Like the flowers and plants. Must have, must have been more of them. Seeds. Seeds. They growed. I've seen it first time this week. Must have got strong on Zenith. He was a big boy full of life. He beats on your mind, and then it gets you. Burns you up in that well water. You was right about that. Zenus never came back from the well. Can't get away. It draws you. You know something's coming, but tain't no use. Oh, oh, where's Narviami? 
My head's no good. Don't know how long since I fed her. It'll get her if we ain't careful. Just a color. Her face is getting to have that color sometimes towards night. It came from some place where things ain't as they is here. One of them professors said so. He was right. Look out, honey. It'll do something more. Sucks the life. But that was all. That which spoke could speak no more, because it had completely caved in. I laid a red checkered tablecloth over his crumbled remains and stumbled outside, climbed up the slope to the ten-acre pasture and walked by the north road. I dared not go near the well. I walked through the night and arrived home to find Martha in a frantic state. Hero had come home without me and she feared the worst. My God, Mr. Pierce, did you notify the authorities? I told Martha all about it, then set out to tell them in Arkham. The same news. Uh, excuse me, Sheriff. We've got a gentleman here I think you'll want to give a listen to. Thank you, Deputy Levesque. I'm Sheriff Clark, and you are... Name's Army Pierce, sir. I live out west of the Emmonsville Pike. I needed to make a report about my neighbors, the Gardeners. Gardner? I know that name. They lost their boy, uh, Thaddeus, a few months back. The farm was where that meteorite came down a year or more back, right? Yes, sir. Name Gardner. Him... His wife, Abigail, are dead. Dead? What happened? I don't rightly know, sir. And it looked as if his boys, Merwin and Zenus, had disappeared. All their livestock was dead, too. Maybe some kind of sickness? Jesus, Mary and Joseph. When did you see this? Well, I was out there yesterday, just before sundown, checking up on Nam. The farm had been headed downhill this past year. Sounds like we better set on out there, take a look for the boys, and see what's happened. Mr. Pierce, you mind taking us there to have a look? I'd rather not. It was... Well, you can imagine. All the same. We'll need you to come along. Uh, Deputy, if there's bodies, we'll need the medical examiner. So notify Doc Marsh and the coroner. If there's something wrong with the livestock, oh, we should bring that veterinarian too, Dr. Fleming. Have Deputy Peterman harness the Democrat wagon. We'll set out at two. Two? That a problem, Mr. Pierce? Well... No, it's just that farm isn't a place you want to be at after sundown. Don't you worry. There's nothing to be afraid of. I led the way on horseback with the six of them following me in the wagon. And we made it to the gardener place around four. I suppose those officers and medical men had seen some gruesome sights before, but not one remained unshaken by the scene in the attic. What was under the red checkered tablecloth on the ground floor? The whole aspect of the farm with its grey desolation was terrible enough. But those two crumbling objects were beyond all bounds. Mason, what would you say was the cause of death? That'd be mighty speculative at this point. Ain't seen nothing like this since I've been coroner. What do you think, Doc? Well, I've never... I mean, we could take samples back to the hospital, but... Yes? But the bodies are hardly more than dust. Not much to analyze. Still, I suppose I, I should gather a couple of files. I don't see anything that suggests foul play. Do you, Sheriff? None I can imagine. Mr. Pierce's story rings true. 
Weird, but true. Any sign of the boys? Nothing yet. Deputies are outside with the vet, Dr. Fleming, having a look. Something terrible's happened here. I don't understand it at all. You all right over there, Mr. Pierce? It's just the... Sun's gonna be down soon. You're sure keeping an eye on that well? Anything you might have forgot to tell me? It's just that... Nahum was afraid of that well, and when I looked for the boys... I didn't think to look down there for Merwin and... Wazinus. Gentlemen! Let's take a look at this well! Well's about empty now, sir. <laughs> That's about all we can take out with the pail. I can't get over how foul the water is. I've never seen water like this coming up out of a well. I told Nahum he needed to dig a new one. But he didn't pay no mind. Well, none of you drink it. As best as I can figure, it was the water made the animals and the family sick. Deputy Levesque, you ready to go down and have a look? Not me, sir. Peterman's going in. He drew the short straw. I'm ready, sir. I tied this lantern to a rope. I'll climb down and have you fellers lowered as I go so I can see the handholds. I'll see what's down there. Careful there, son. I've been down the well at my daddy's farm a hundred times. You got the lantern there? Here it is. Here we go. Shouldn't take him long. There wasn't much water. We hit the bottom pretty fast. All right. I'm, uh, I'm on the... the slack. Give me slack on the lantern. What do you see, Peterman? I think I found him. There's some bones down here. Two human skulls. They shouldn't be reduced to bones that fast, should they? That usually takes a few weeks or months. Hey, can somebody toss me a pole or maybe a, a, a really long stick down here? I'll run grab one from the barn. You see anything else, Peterman? There's a bunch of bones. The, the two people, a small deer, probably, a, a big dog, some small animals. The bottom of the well is all bubbly and oozy. It's like no well I've ever seen. He should come back up. I'm dropping the pole down now! Yep, I was right. I can just push the pole down into the... Well, it just keeps on going. Like, there's no hard bottom at all. Oh, oh it smells funny. Uh, uh, hang on, it, it, it's kind of gurgling now. Bring him up now! What about the bodies? Um, we can't just leave the boys' remains down there. Uh, Peterman! We're lowering the pail down to you. Put the boys' remains in and then come on up! The bones are all gray and brittle. They crumble apart when I try to move them. It's gurgling more down here. Peterman! Come on back up now! J just let it all be! Uh, twilight had fallen. The officers went into the ancient sitting room to confer while I watched the intermittent light of a spectral half-moon playing wanly on the gray desolation outside. The men were as baffled as those professors had been. Couldn't see no link between the strange vegetation, the livestock disease, the madness of Abigail and Thaddeus, and the inexplicable deaths of Merwin and Zenus in the tainted well. It's like a poison, and a curse come down from the heavens. Curse is right. But the only thing we could agree was the meteor had poisoned the soil. I'm inclined to agree with Ami here. I think it must be something with the well water. I'll take a sample back to Arkham, see if I can find something in it back at the lab. That don't make sense. If it was the water, why would those boys jump into it? And what took the wits from their mama and the older brother? I don't know. I don't understand any of this. It was the car and the mason stub seated near the window overlooking the yard, 
who first noticed the glow around the well. Night had fully set in now, and all the ground seemed faintly illuminated with more than the fitful moonbeams. This new glow was something definite and distinct, and appeared to shoot up from the black pit like a softened ray from a searchlight, giving dull reflections in the little ground pools where the water had been emptied. It had a very queer color, and I feared to think what it might mean. I seen it in the nasty, brittle globule in the meteorite two summers ago, and now that well was belching forth into the night a, a pale insidious beam of the same. It wasn't right. It was against nature. And I couldn't help but think what name said at the last. It came from some place where things ain't as they is here. One of them professors said so. He was right. Those animals need... Don't go out there, Dr. Fleming. There's more to this than what we know. The imp said something lived in the well that sucks your life out. He said it must be something that growed out of that globule in the meteor. And it's just a cloud of color like that light out there now. That you can hardly see and can't tell what it is. Nahum thought it feeds on everything living and gets stronger all the time. He said he, he seen it this last week. Must be something from away off in the sky like the men from the college says the meteor stone was. The way it's made and, and the way it works isn't the way of God's world. It's something far beyond. My God, look at the trees! Branches, they're moving. It's just the wind, surely. Ain't been no wind tonight. It's dead calm. Anyhow, no wind moves branches that way. It's like they're twitching, scratching at the air. Clawing toward the moon, reaching for it. Well, not a man breathed for several seconds. When a cloud passed over the moon, and the silhouette of clutching branches faded out momentarily. But terror did not fade with that silhouette. And in a fearsome instant of deeper darkness, we saw wriggling at the treetop height a thousand tiny points of faint and unhallowed radiance tipping each bough like the fire of saint elmo it was a monstrous constellation of unnatural light like a glutted swarm of corpse-fed fireflies dancing over a, an accursed marsh and its color was that same nameless intrusion which i had come to dread look at the well the light coming out of the well it's pouring out Flowing straight up into the sky. The horses. Dr. Fleming. There's nothing we can do for them now, Army. Our wagon. They bolted. It's getting brighter. The buildings themselves are glowing. The trees reaching to the sky. Whatever it is, it got to the horses. Hero, run by. It spread on everything organic that's been around here. Maybe that long pole stirred up something in the well. There was no bottom at all, just ooze and bubbles and the feeling of something down there. Nabby said it fed on them. On every living thing it touched, maybe it lives in the water. Oh my god. I was in that water. What's it doing now? I pray it's fixing to go home. That colored light, coming from the whale. I'd swear it's taking on a shape. Do you see it? Hero! Don't look on me. It's too late for him. Here. 
It's inside the house. Look! Up there by the mantle. It's over there, too. That color! God in heaven! The phosphorescence had begun to pervade the entire room. It glowed on the broad plank floor and the fragment of rag carpet, shimmered over the sashes of the small pane windows, ran up and down the exposed corner post, danced about the shelf and mantel, infected the very doors and furniture. We should leave here, right now. This way, out the back. We fled quick as we could into the dark, through the fields. We walked and stumbled as in a dream, and did not dare look back till we were far away on the high ground. Thank God for the path, for we daren't have gone to the road in front. By that well, it was bad enough passing the glowing barn and sheds and those shining orchard trees with their gnarled, fiendish shapes. Looking back, we saw a fearsome sight. The farm was shining with the hideous, unknown color. Trees, buildings, and beyond. The boughs were all straining skyward, tipped with tongues of foul flame, and tricklings of the same monstrous fire were creeping about the ridge poles of the house, barn, and sheds. Over all the rest rode a riot of glowing alien poison from the well, seething and lapping, shimmering like it was. like it was feeling or reaching out. Then, without warning, the thing shot vertically up toward the sky like a rocket. God, as my witness, it was like that meteor going back up into space, leaving behind no trail and disappearing through a round and curiously regular hole in the clouds. I'll never forget the sight. I stared at the sky where the thing had melted into the Milky Way. Good God. But then there was something more. There burst up from that doomed farm a cataclysm of unnatural sparks and substance. Their eyes burned as it sent forth to the zenith a cloudburst of such colored and fantastic fragments as our world must needs disown. Weird vapors consumed the thing, and in a moment they were gone too. Behind and below was only darkness. Then suddenly from the stillness, all about was a mounting wind which seemed to sweep down cold black gusts. It shrieked and howled and lashed the fields and distorted woods in a frenzy. The moon was blotted out by the clouds, but it didn't make no matter. We didn't need to see it to know the gardener farm was gone. Plain wiped away. There wasn't nothing to say. We just kind of started drifting back down the north road. In time we reached the crossroad. My farm in one direction and Arkham and Tava. Well, Ami, I guess this is the road back to your place. Rest of us will make it on into town. Yeah, yeah. I think we can all agree there's no need to tell anyone. It wouldn't do any good. Nobody should know. Nobody believe it anyway. You gonna be all right there, Ami? Yeah. Uh, don't want to go on alone, not through them woods. I'll walk with you, Hami. I'll, I'll come too. Just as far as my house. Get me inside to the kitchen. We'll be all right together, Hami. You fellas, you all take care. 
Was good of them fellas to come with me that night. Yes, well, you'd all experienced quite a shock. Some of them went back next day. See the ruins of the daylight. Torn at nothing left but a few stones from the chimney in the cellar. Nothing that had ever been alive. Did you go back? No, sir. Don't need to go back. It's 44 years ago since that night, but I see it all as if it was yesterday. And I'll tell you something I never told no one before. What's that? As we were walking away down that road that night, after Gardner's was destroyed, the men were looking straight ahead, you know. But I made the horrid mistake of turning and looking back. And there, in that far away spot, I saw something rise up, not much. Just kind of feebly, only to sink down again at that place from which the great shapeless horror had shot into the sky. What was it? It was just a color. That color. I didn't say nothing about it. But I knew something had stayed behind. Something lingered on that blasted heath. You fellas plan to flood that land for a reservoir? You won't hear a complaint from me. Let the water blot it out. Drown it. I thanked Mr. Pierce for telling me his story. And as I left him, I shuddered, for I knew it was true. I knew from my own experience that something of evil remained on that land. Five eldritch acres of dusty gray desert remained, nor has anything ever grown there since. To this day, it sprawls open to the sky like a great spot eaten by acid in the woods and fields. It truly is the blasted heath. I did all I could to confirm Ami's tale. I even found the dust samples collected by Dr. Marsh. Those last remains of Nahum and Abigail Gardner had been forgotten in an evidence locker for decades. Their silent testimony is all we'll ever have since there is no one else but Ami to question. Arkham people will not talk about the strange days, and Sheriff Clark and the others, including the professors who examined the meteorite and its colored globule, are dead now. There were other globules. Depend upon that. One must have fed itself and escaped, and probably there was another which was too late. I believe it is still down there in the well. I know there was something wrong with the sunlight I saw above the miasmal brink. The farmers say the blight creeps an inch a year, so perhaps there's a kind of growth or nourishment even now, but whatever demon hatchling is there, it must be tethered to something or else it would quickly spread. Is it fastened to the roots of those trees that claw the air? What it is, only God knows. This was no fruit of such worlds and suns as shine on the telescopes and photographic plates of our observatories. This was no breath from the skies whose motions and dimensions our astronomers measure or deem too vast to measure. It was just a color out of space. A frightful messenger from unformed realms of infinity beyond all nature as we know it from realms whose mere existence stuns the brain and numbs us with the black extra-cosmic gulfs it throws open before our frenzy dies. One thing I do know with certainty is that the planned reservoir must never be built lest the fatal poison of that blasted heath be spread throughout the county. I will submit this report, along with the files of gardener dust, to the authorities. The project must be stopped at all costs. Wait! He means those tubes? My god, Mr. Hughes, these... They're human remains! How did they end up in the basement? 
Why wasn't this report properly filed? Someone needs to read this. We should show it to the commissioner. Show uh, what to the commissioner? Oh, Mr. Barrow, sir. Ruth found an old survey report when she was cleaning out the storeroom. Oh, really? By someone named Abel Cook. Abel Cook? Haven't heard that name in years. It was in a box with other papers, and these samples contained... Well, it's sad. Cook's dead. Well, that, was, uh, that was years ago. Dead? Suicide. Shot himself. Terrible thing. Why did he shoot himself? I heard it has something to do with his final assignment. The Mattapan Reservoir Project. Uh, but who knows? He seemed a bit crazy towards the end. If that is his final report, I'd just lose it again if I were you. Doesn't make any difference now. The reservoir worked out fine. Wait. Are you saying they built the reservoir? The one in this report? Of course. It supplies water to the whole Arkham region. While you're drinking it right now. Bottoms up. You've been listening to H.P. Lovecraft's The Color Out of Space, brought to you by our sponsor, Four Hands Toothpaste. Say no to dental gloom. Have a smile that lights the room. Until next week, this is Erskine Blackwell, reminding you never to go anywhere alone. If it looks bad, don't look, and save the last bullet for yourself. The Color Out of Space was adapted for radio and produced by Sean Branny and Andrew Lehman. Original music by Troy Sterling Neese. The Dark Adventure Ensemble featured Leslie Baldwin, Aidan Braddy, Sean Braddy, Casey Camp, Mark Colson, Dan Conroy, Andrew Lehman, Barry Lynch, David Paveo, Kevin Stidham, Sarah Vanderpool, Josh Tempke, and Time Winters. Tune in next week for The Curse of Lobelia's Tomb. Dark Adventure Radio Theater is a production of the HPLHS Broadcasting Group, a subsidiary of HPLHS Incorporated, copyright 1931 plus 82.